Well, good morning. Shout out to our online campus as well. Welcome. Two men were on the golf course one morning. I know some of you will appreciate that. And they begin to challenge one another like men do. And uh, the first guy challenges his buddy, says, if you think you're so religious, I'd like to hear you say the Lord's Prayer. I'll bet you 10 bucks you can't say it. Second guy responds, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And first guy reaches in his pocket, grabs his wallet, fishes out a $10 bill and has it and shakes his hand and says, I didn't think he could do it. Well, last week, uh, Pastor began a sermon series on prayer, and he gave us three key essentials that we need to remember as we go in prayer. Uh, first, he said, when we pray, it must be real, meaning be yourself, be genuine. You know, don't try to use a bunch of big words that are outside of your vocabulary because you're not impressing God and you're not impressing anybody else. And he said, we need to be still. Now, this is the one that gets most of us because it means that we need to make time to spend time in prayer without the distractions, to be intentional. And then finally, he said, prayer is not let's make a deal. You know, true prayer is not bargaining with God, trying to get what we want, but rather it's sincere communication with our Father in heaven. Prayer is at the heart of the Christian life, and yet many of us still struggle with it. In fact, if I was to ask the question, how many are satisfied with your prayer life, very few would say yes. Often our prayers are like filling up our shopping cart when we're shopping on Amazon. You know, we have that list that with things that we want right now, and then we keep that separate list of things that we wish for. It reminds me of a scene from Anne of Green Gables. And this is where Marilla is uh, trying to teach Anne how to pray. First of all, Marilla is just horrified because she thinks that Anne's a complete heathen because she didn't say her prayers before bed. And uh, so Marilla scolds her on it. And she says, well, I, I never prayed. How do you do it? So Marilla says, well, first you have to kneel down. And so she kneels on top of her bed, and Marilla shakes her head and says, no, no, you need to kneel beside the bed. She says, why? Marilla says, I don't know. That's just the way it's done. <laughs> and so kneeling by the side of her bed, Anne improv 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 improvises this flowery speech and she thanks God for such gifts as the lake of shining water, the white day of delight, the smell of lilacs. And she says, what do I want? Oh, yeah, two things, really. Please, let me stay at Green Gables forever and ever. And the second thing, please, please, please make me good looking when I grow up. <laughs> Yours sincerely and surely. You know, isn't it ironic that 
the most beautiful thing that we experience in life, talking with our Heavenly Father, is so elusive. And as we continue this series this morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage that's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And it's not the, now I lay me down to sleep. Actually, I think it would be better to be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus teaches his followers how they ought to pray. And so our text today is found in Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to look at verse 9. And I got about 16 pages and two hours worth of preaching, so uh, any amens cuts about 10 minutes off. Hallelujah, man, we'll knock 15 minutes off. So here we go. <laughs> Jesus says, pray then this way. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, pray this, like he's giving them some kind of a script to, to pray. But he says, pray like this, giving them a template or a model that they, of how they should structure their prayers. He says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, in the previous verses, he's already taught how not to pray. And he warns that our prayers are not something to be uh, repeated by rote or in vain repetition. And so Jesus instructs his followers to pray this way, after this manner. He kind of gives them a skeleton outline of how they can structure their prayers. And the first thing that we see is that our prayers are relational. Our Father. Now, when Jesus taught his disciples to approach God in this way as their Father, it was unheard of. Only 14 times in the Old Testament do you see that God is referred to as Father, and then it's only as the Father of the nation of Israel. And so this was unheard of. The concept of God was revolutionary. Only a shadow in the Old Testament, but made possible by the blood of Jesus. Through his cross, believers become children of God. Try to wrap your head around that for a moment. The holy righteous, invisible, almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who stretched out the stars, who made the seas and everything in it, who created you and I, becomes our Abba. And Jesus uses an Aramaic word there that in today's English is the equivalent of saying Papa or Daddy. And the reason we call God Father is only because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Father, and he provides sonship and daughtership, if that's a word, daughtership, to everyone who believes in John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, Jesus changes everything. What was broken because of sin is now restored through Jesus. 
Our relationship with God as our Father is established when we are born again. And it's by grace through faith in Christ. And as the Apostle Paul explains later in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And this is echoed in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 15, where it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. We've been adopted by God. You know, you don't have a choice with your natural-born children, but when you adopt someone, you choose them. You have been chosen by God, adopted by God, and our adoption is not based on our behavior or our performance, but rather it's through faith by grace that we are adopted as children of God. Now, adoption was a common practice in the Greco-Roman world at this time, and it's where an adopted person becomes part of a, the, becomes a permanent family member with the same responsibilities, the same rights as their natural-born son. And some of the most famous adoptions in this period were within the Roman Empire. The Roman emperors, people like Augustus, Tiberius, and Nero. Adoption is the act of leaving one's natural family and entering into the privileges and responsibilities of another. And in the Bible, adoption is one of several family-related terms used to describe the process of salvation and its subsequent benefits. God is a father who graciously adopts us. He adopts those who put their trust in Christ and he adopts us into his spiritual family and he grants us the privileges of being a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Salvation is much more than forgiveness and deliverance from condemnation. It also is a position of great blessing. Believers are children of God and through this adoption, we are now members of the same family. So we're all part of the family of God if you've placed your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder then why Satan has relentlessly attacked generations of fathers throughout the ages. We see fathers portrayed on TV in a way that is either vulgar, it's, uh, they portray them as being dumb, uh, just all the negative connotations of a father. Because if he can crush humanity's vision of what a good father-child relationship is, he can more easily distort our concept of God, who is the true father, in whom there is no error, no imperfection. And God loves us as our father. And when we pray, we pray from that strong position of a close, intimate relationship with God, who is our Father, 
that only those who follow Jesus can claim. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, put it this way. This is in uh, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Well, the next thing that we see is that our prayers need to be directional. How many know that the direction that we offer our prayers matters? And Jesus doesn't tell you to face a certain way. You know, we don't face east and we don't pray a certain direction. But God, Jesus instructs us, instructs his disciples to recognize where God is and to direct your prayers to him. It says, he is our father who is in heaven. And this is important because when we recognize God as our Father in heaven, we see that he's not confined or limited by earthly restrictions. The psalmist put it like this. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, and he remains faithful forever. And that's why, why the Bible explains that nothing is impossible to God. He is omnipotent, which means that he has all power. He's omniscient, meaning that he knows all things. And he's omnipresent, meaning that he is always present everywhere. He's not limited to time and space, but transcends those finite qualities. In Psalm 139, verses 8 and 10, the psalmist declares, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is our Father in heaven. But we find in Scripture that he reached down to earth to save us and to reconcile us back to himself. The angel announced to Mary that she would conceive and bear a son who would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when we pray, we pray to a God who is not distant. He's not detached. But rather, we pray to our Heavenly Father, our Abba, who is very near and deeply interested in us. He loves us as a Father. Well, our prayers then are relational, they're directional. And the final observation is that our prayers are positional. 
Jesus teaches that we must have God positioned in his proper place. We've seen that God is our heavenly father. But as almighty, sovereign creator, he is worthy of our reverence. And Jesus continues his model prayer. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The prayer says, our heavenly father, may your name be revered, respected, venerated, and upheld as holy. His name is sacred. And since it describes his character, his identity, his actions, it is holy. The name is who he is. As an example, in Psalm 23, David describes the Lord as the good shepherd. And this title describes his character and his actions of shepherding his people. In verse 3, the psalm reads, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. In this example, we see that for his namesake, the Lord who is the shepherd will do what is consistent with his character. He leads us in paths of righteousness. That's what a shepherd does. He leads. His actions follow his title and his name. And God honors his name by always staying true, staying consistent with his character and his blameless reputation. And so the model prayer explains that his name is to be honored. His name is holy. And when we pray, we enter into the presence of a holy God. He is perfect and majestic. And our response is to stand in awe and wonder in holy reverence of his greatness. Yes, he is our father. And we are his children and we have full confidence in that. But he is also almighty God. He is holy. He is sovereign. And he is to be reverenced. And so we must recognize our position in humility as we enter his presence. We must give him the proper place and majesty and honor. And we must take our proper place of submission and obedience. We, honors God, we honor God's name when we come before him with a heart of faith, trust, and humility. And our faith grows as the knowledge of God grows. Little knowledge of who God is will translate into little faith since we can't fully trust who we don't know. But as our knowledge of his character and attributes increases, our faith will also increase. And our doubt and our unbelief will decrease. And that's why it's so important for us to constantly hear the word of God, which reveals who God is. In scripture, we learn about God's character by his names. Let me give you a couple examples. In the book of Exodus, we read the miraculous account of how God parted the Red Sea 
and the Israelites crossed it on dry land. Wouldn't you agree that this is a fantastic miracle? They were escaping Pharaoh, who was behind them. They had mountains on each side, and right in front of them was the Red Sea. They were trapped. It was an impossible situation. But God opened up the sea for them to cross. And when Pharaoh tried to follow them, the sea closed, and their enemy was destroyed. Now, in the same chapter where they're celebrating their deliverance, we read that as they continued along their journey, that they came to a place called Mara, and they were thirsty, but they couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. And the passage tells us that immediately, their immediate response was to grumble against Moses. Did you take us out of Egypt to kill us? Are you kidding me? They had just experienced the greatest miracle that, of all time. <laughs> but now their present situation was grim. And unfortunately, their hearts were full of unbelief. And they griped about their situation. They allowed their present struggle to cloud the magnificence of God who had just delivered them. Instead of hallowing his name, they grumbled in their hearts. Many circumstances in life are uncertain. Maybe there's something right now that you're facing that is testing and challenging you. Is there something that you're expecting to turn out one way, but has turned out the opposite? And these issues can cause us to question and perhaps doubt but in this account, we find that Moses cried out to the Lord. You see, he went to the source of help, the source of his deliverance. And God directed him to throw a log into the water, which miraculously made the water sweet so that they could drink it. As loved children of God, it's important that we honor his name and trust him in spite of the difficult situations and circumstances that we face and offer him worship from our hearts. After that contention at the waters of Marah, the Lord gave the people a promise. And this is found in Exodus 15, verse 26. It says, if you will diligently listen to my voice or to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. In the name Jehovah Rapha, God reveals his healing nature. And not only his ability to heal, but that he is the healer. And his healing is more than just physical healing. It's healing of situations, healing of families. It's emotional, spiritual, and mental healing. What in your life needs the healing of God? Your children, your marriage, your emotions, your memories, your fears? He is Jehovah Rapha, the healer. 
And you can place your full trust and confidence on him to heal and deliver and believe that his name is consistent with his character. He's Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. So as you pray, you can declare, hallowed be your name, Jehovah Rapha. Genesis chapter 22 reveals another one of God's names, and that's Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. It's the name memorialized by Abraham when God provided the ram to be sacrificed in place of Isaac, the son that Abraham had been waiting for for 25 years. And now after the promise has been fulfilled, God was requiring that Abraham give up his son. That was certainly a test. It was a challenge of his faith. And this passage shows that Abraham believed God fully in the deepest parts of his heart. So his immediate response was to obey God. There was no murmuring, no grumbling, only full trust. And God was true to his name. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. And it's not the Lord did provide, but the Lord will provide. In other words, the name doesn't just simply memorialize, memorialize a past event, but it anticipates a future action. His character reveals his actions. It's revealed in his actions. And we find that Jehovah Jireh provided a sacrifice to save Isaac. But this provision has an even more profound meaning. This was a foreshadowing of the provision of his son for the salvation of the world. God's provision for our deep and true need of salvation would be fulfilled through Christ. God is true to his name. And he provided Jesus. So in prayer, we can say, hallowed be your name. May the name Jehovah Jireh be revered and venerated as holy. Now in the New Testament, we find that the same majesty and greatness is given to the name of Jesus. His name is above all names in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. The Apostle Paul declared his supremacy when we read Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You see, one day... Every knee is going to bow before the name of Jesus. But we who are in Christ, we can bow to him now. We can place our full trust, our faith, our belief, our confidence in his character. Since his name is above all names. And he will eternally be true to his character. 
in this faith and confidence and dependence. We are blessed by him. And we know that his purposes for us are good. And so we can come and pray confidently, knowing that he, his will for us is good. And that he's not distant, but he is near. He's the father to the fatherless. He's our heavenly father, our Abba, who has given us his full attention. So today, if you're facing circumstances that seem bigger than you, you can come before God and pray, knowing that he hears you. Come to him in faith. Humbly seek him. His purposes for you are good. He is your heavenly father who is near and he is faithful. Let your faith grow by knowing aspects of his character and fully trust in him. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, I'd like to give you that opportunity. The Bible says that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and that if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and you can repeat after me if you'd like. God, I come to you and acknowledging that I am a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take away my sin and that you raised him to life on the third day. Thank you that in Christ my sins are forgiven. I've been given eternal life and that now I am accepted into your family as a child of God. Amen. We can enjoy the relationship of a father and child of son and daughter. He's our Abba. But always remember that he is almighty God and his name is holy and he is to be reverenced as holy. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like for you just to mark it on your connection card. Just, I think there's a place on there that I said yes to Jesus. If you don't find that little check mark, just write it in the comments. I said yes to Jesus. Let's stand as the worship team leads us in a closing prayer.